Hello, Shiver Seekers. Are you ready to follow us into the cursed unknown? I'm Cynthia. And I am Stephanie. And you have found the Dark Oak. of the hope diamond i have heard of it well i'm gonna tell you what wait i wasn't expecting that answer <laughs> i have what what, what? <laughs> it's cursed yeah okay well i'm gonna talk about the curse of the hope diamond <laughs> do we want to start over act i will excited. say no act excited no it's okay <laughs> We're going to put this in our bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, today, spoiler alert, we're talking about the Curse of the Hope Diamond. <laughs> I, okay, so to clarify. Man, Cynthia knows how to kill my joy. Yes. <laughs> I've heard of it, but that's the extent. I've heard of it, but I don't know details. I've just heard that it's... You have heard that it's cursed, but not the details Correct. of said curse. Correct. So everything you share with me is going to be new information. Okay. Well, I just have heard it's cursed. It's <laughs> so you're saying it's worth my time? It's worth your time. About I will allow time. you <laughs> to give me... <laughs> A rundown. Okay, well, hopefully not all of our listeners are experts on the Hope Diamond Curse, as you are. Clearly. And I would like to tell you a few things that you may not already know. Okay, great. That you may not already be an expert on Let's in this area. Let's see if that's possible. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you a little history about it, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the curse, and maybe you can tell me whether you think it's really cursed or not. All right. All right. So the most iconic gem in history, the Hope Diamond, has been enchanting the world for centuries. It's been around for a long time. Wow. Monarchs, nobility, craftsmen, and the everyday man have been drawn into its incomparable beauty and enchantment. The largest blue diamond in the world may also hold a dark side. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Those who have been beguiled by its charm have also opened the world to doom. Oh. I made this very dramatic. To doom. Doom? <laughs> doom. Oh, no. <laughs> doom and diamond. Yeah, so here's my real intro. Is the Hope Diamond a coveted piece of treasure? Or a beautifully cut piece of dark magic. Ooh. Yeah. I really, I okay. really wanted to get serious. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'm willing to take possession of the Hope Diamond and find out. At this point, maybe in by the end of this episode, I'll change my mind. Well, I think most people have been in your case. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, I could have the largest blue diamond in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the curse. Yeah. I'll take the good <laughs> along with the bad. That's right. <laughs> So the blue diamond was originally cut uh, from a gem that was about 112 carats. Wow. 112 carats. It's pretty big. That's, yeah. Yeah. 
um, when a French diamond merchant named Jean-Baptiste Tavnier first acquired it in the Golconda region of India in the mid-1600s from the Kohler mine. At that time, India was the only known source of diamonds in the world, as they hadn't yet been discovered in Brazil or Southern Africa. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah. either. There were a multitude of stories told about how diamonds were obtained, but it was Tavernier who actually went to see the diamond mines for firsthand and who came back to France with the fullest descriptions of the mines and the workers and the diamonds. He also bought hundreds of diamonds, often trading them for pearls he acquired in the Middle East. Okay. Yeah. So he's like all up in like the fine, the jewel. fine jewels. Yes, exactly. Yes. The jewels. He's your man. Yes, exactly. Okay. The jewels. The Indians had elaborate ideas about the gemstones, believing they had protective powers. They did not cut gemstones the way we do. Instead, they tended to preserve as much of the stone as they could, only cutting out cracks and other perfections. That's why it was so much larger when they had unearthed it. It was believed that maximizing their ability to protect one from evil influences was the goal. So they cut out, like, the bigger it was, the more evil spirits they could. Okay. Like control or sure like a lot of people still believe that about stones right exactly exactly um the idea was the gin stones absorb those negative influences and then contain them in the stone oh so you didn't want to cut you didn't want to cut it because that could release so it's almost like a pandora's box type situation like all the evil stuff is in the stone some might call a curse possible Okay, okay, keep going, keep going. (laughs) Now, rulers wore lots of diamonds and other gems, and the bigger, the better, and that would provide them the most protection. Um, Other, you know, not nobility, um, Indians wore smaller talismans talismans that had different size gems, uh, but it was all for the same purpose, Mm -hmm. basically capturing these evil spirits. Portuguese, French, Dutch, German, and English dealers and merchant traders flocked to India to procure diamonds, but no one acquired more gems and had better deals than Tavernier. So he was the guy. Like he's the guy. So he's the guy to all the nobility, to the kings and queens. Like he's the one. He made six trips to India between 1630 and 1670. Returning to France after one of those trips in 1668, he met with King Louis XIV of France at his newly built Versailles Palace. Oh. Tavernier sold the king the 112 carat blue diamond, along with about 200 other diamonds. (laughs) So, you know. I mean, and, you know, if you remember history, um, you know, at this time in France, it was a pretty indulgent time to be in the royal family. Yes. Yes. Doesn't end very well. (laughs) (laughs) No. A big blue diamond like the Hope Diamond was incredibly rare, and it became a favorite of the king. At the time the diamond was sold, it was somewhat triangular in shape and crudely cut. Its color was described by Tavernier as un beau violet. A beautiful violet. Oh, beautiful. I love the way he described it. Now, Louis XIV was called the Sun King. The castle built for his use and honor at Versailles reflects every bit of this. He viewed his reign as one of enlightenment, of letting in the light of divine kingship, of letting knowledge, beauty, and the art shine. 
At Versailles, the glass of each chandelier is exquisitely cut to reflect and reflect the light. Mirrors, windows, and the dazzling use of light in the architecture and the decor are everywhere. Where diamonds were concerned, it is the same. Louis XIV accumulated the greatest collection of crown jewels on the continent. European gem cutters, influenced by the Renaissance idea of using optics and geometry to manipulate, manipulate light, had learned how to cut diamonds predictably, and they would alter the stone's reflective and refractive properties to let the light out of the diamond and make it shine. Wow. So they were really the ones that had honed in on just making these, cutting these diamonds and other gemstones to really just like sparkle. Sparkle. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Louis XIV had, had Tavernier's blue diamond cut down um, from the 112 carats where he had purchased it into a symmetrical, beautiful gem of 68 carats. Okay. So they removed all the impurities. They removed all of the cracks. And it was just, I, I mean, phenomenal. No one had seen anything like okay. it. Okay. So I wonder if cutting it by almost half, did that increase the value because it made it so much more pristine and like beautiful and I, I mean i think it did in some respects but also it may have released the curse oh yes. yeah okay. i remember the cutting okay yeah because um from here on out it just it just goes it gets a, okay. it gets a little dark but yes i do think that cutting it allowed it's really the beautiful properties of it to come right because yes. i think like an uncut diamond really just in a lot of ways looks like a rock it does it does mm -hmm. and of course this was not only cut but polished yeah so yeah. it had that real mm -hmm. like sparkle and shine to it okay the diamond was then recorded in the royal inventory and renamed the french blue mm, that's pretty it was valued mm, okay <laughs> 3.6 million dollars wow. in today's currency wow Louis XIV wore it simply from a ribbon hanging around his neck or on a brooch. I like that. Just simplicity. Yeah. Just, well, and <laughs> indulgence. <laughs> indulgent simplicity. Yes, my three <laughs> and a half or yeah, so yeah, million yes. dollar stone hanging from a ribbon around hanging my neck. A, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Keeping it simple. In 1749, Louis XIV's great-grandson, had the French blue set into a more elaborate jeweled pendant for the Order of the Golden Fleece by the court jeweler André Jacquemin. Um, the assembled piece included a red spindle of 107 carats shaped as a dragon breathing covetous flames. If you can actually look at the picture of it, it's awesome. It, it sounds awesome. It literally is this dragon that's like breathing out of its nose like diamonds and then it's holding like a sheep like that has this fleece uh-huh um so there was 107 carats shaped into the like the dragon's breath mm -hmm. and then there were 83 red painted diamonds and 112 yellow painted diamonds to like make the fleece shape okay so there's the dragon the dragon's breath and the fleece all with different colored diamonds and they painted the diamonds like some of them paint? they painted like okay. on the back to make them oh, like reflect exactly okay. but it is an incredible piece yeah it really that's... is if you see it and then it of course had the hope diamond or at this point the french blue like uh -huh. in it okay it's like its centerpiece oh cool okay yeah. 
The piece fell into disuse after the death of Louis XIV, and the diamond became the property of his grandson, the one that had put it into this, the Order of the Golden Fleece, like, okay. medallion. His wife, Queen Marie Antoinette, oh, mm-hmm, recognize that name, hmm. used many of the French crown jewels for personal adornment by having the individual gems placed in new settings and combination, but the French blue remained in the pendant. Okay, so this was like their special thing. On September 11th, 1792, while Louis and Marie Antoinette and their family were imprisoned in the Square du Temple during the early stages of the French Revolution's reign of terror, a group of thieves broke into the royal storehouse. There's a very French name of the storehouse that I'm going to try. Okay. Hotel de Godet, Mubel de la Corion. Pretty. Oh, well, thank you. Everything I don't know if it's, pretty. I don't know if it's correct, but that was my best. It's still pretty. <laughs> and these thieves stole most of the crown jewels in a five-day looting spree. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. While many jewels were later recovered, including other pieces of the Order of the Golden Fleece, the French blue was not among them, and it disappeared from history. Oh. Yeah, a little wild, right? That is wild. And right after that, the entire French dynasty collapsed right. with the beheading of Louis, the beheading of Queen Antoinette, like the basically slaughter of their entire court. Wow. Okay. Yeah. When Napoleon later became emperor of France, he swore to recover all the French crown jewels, including the blue diamond, but he failed. Mm. He never found it. The famous blue diamond went missing for some 20 years, after which time it resurfaced with a new look. Interestingly, this 20 years is also the statute of limitations for theft in France. Oh, that is convenient, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? So it makes you think, was there a strategic hiding of the gem through these times? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. In 1812, a smaller 45 carat blue diamond turned up in London in the possession of an English diamond merchant named Daniel Eliasson. It is believed that while the diamond was in hiding, it moved through the hands of Wilhelm Wilhelm Falls, a Dutch jeweler who was responsible for making the diamond into the new 45 carat, and a trader named Francis Ballou before coming to Eliasson. But Eliasson would never confirm where it came from or how it came to into his possession. He saw all of a sudden was just like, and again, we're assuming it's the same diamond. Right, because we don't really know for sure. It's not confirmed, but again, I mean, it's the most, it's the largest blue diamond mm. in the world. So what are the chances of like two of them right. floating around? Now let me ask, what would the motive be for cutting it down from 68 to 40? something carrots i'm not sure okay i I really don't know nobody really knows we just know we're assuming it's the same one right um so i don't know if it was in a different shape okay because as far as i know we don't have any pictures of a close-up of it Mm -hmm. when it was the french blue Mm -hmm. like we have a drawing of it when it was originally purchased Mm -hmm. um from tavernier like in that kind of like irregular like triangle shape uh-huh. but then it's just a big gap and we have a picture of it in the in the um 
the fleece. Yeah, we have it in the fleece. That's right. Okay. We have a picture of it in the fleece. Uh-huh. Um, but no, but it's in a setting. Right. So right, it's no right. exact measurement sure. okay. of it. Um, All right. You know, okay. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The 45 carat blue diamond um, that was drawn in a document of the time is the same one that is in the Smithsonian today. Okay. So this one, this 1812 one, is the same one that we have today. So we were able to like track it. Okay. So we know for sure that this This is the one. The the exact same one. Correct. Eliason sold the blue diamond to British King George IV. And some called it the George Blue Diamond. George IV celebrated the diamond as a trophy for defeating his enemy, Napoleon. So it was kind of like it used to be the French blue. Now it's mine. So, you know, here we go. Yes. The British king, though, was a spendthrift who almost bankrupted the throne. After the king died in 1830, his executor, the Duke of Wellington, had to sell the blue diamond to pay off his debts. Oh. Yeah. So not not good luck. Right. Right. Yeah. He sold it to Henry Philip Hope, a great diamond collector. Okay. Hope set the diamond in a medallion with a hanging pearl. He simply called the blue diamond number one. But after some time, it became known as the Hope Diamond. The Hope family was among England's wealthiest. They aided American colonial commerce and helped finance the Louisiana Purchase. Wow. They accumulated land, castles, Dutch and Flemish paintings, and other riches. But over the course of a few generations, they squandered all their wealth. Wow. So another one. I mean, to go from like the richest to. So now we have the French. Now we have the English. <laughs> so literally no. no one who's had this diamond has turned out well. Like things have not turned no. out well for them. No. Okay. No. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it really does. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Like I was willing to take my chances, but you're just starting and we got a lot of bad luck here. Yeah. Okay. In 1887, the diamond was inherited by Lord Francis Hope, Henry Philip Hope's grandnephew. Francis unfortunately, bet badly on horses, business enterprises, and an American showgirl wife named <laughs> May Yohi. Oh, okay. He lost his fortune mm. and his showgirl wife. Oh, of course. After a series of court cases, he was allowed to sell the Hope Diamond. So it destroyed him as well. And now we're going to move on to the next. Okay. It was purchased by New York jeweler Joseph Frankel Sons and Company in 1901. Frankel hoped to make a quick sale and a big profit as they put up much of their business capital capital to buy the Hope Diamond. Instead, the overvalued diamond sat in their vault. In 1907, Banker's Panic, which was essentially a recession, Mm -hmm. just the name for the recession Mm -hmm. at the time, took its toll on the company. Frankel was diamond rich, but cash poor mm. and going bankrupt. Wow. With the Hope Diamond. With the Hope Diamond. Wow. Uh-huh. The first public stories about the Hope Diamond being unlucky came in the financial pages of the New York Times in 1908. It noted that Jim was basically responsible for Frankel's failure. 
Other newspapers in Washington and London picked up the story and made it increasingly elaborate, speaking of the malevolent influences and power of the mysterious rays that emanated below the glittering surface of the diamond and unleashed evil upon all that possessed it. So this is where it really kind of took on a life, if you will. Mm -hmm. After passing through several more hands, the Hope Diamond was finally sold at a bargain price to other diamond dealers, finally coming to the Cartier Brothers in Paris. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now we're getting a little more modern here, Mm -hmm. right? Pierre Cartier, along with popular publications at the time, made the Hope Diamond into the mysterious gem we know today. He was enchanted with the novel The Moonstone, which was written decades earlier by English author Wilkie Collins. In Collins's story, a large yellow diamond had formed the eye of an idol of a Hindu deity at a temple in India. The diamond literally embodied the power of the god. This sounds so cool. Okay. <laughs> I actually kind of want to read this book now. Yeah. There it rested until it was looted by a Muslim conqueror and taken to his treasury. Then years later, British colonial soldiers looted the treasury in battle, taking the diamond back to England. There, tragedy, murder, kidnapping, and insanity followed the possession of the ill-gotten gem. The god had cursed the stone. An evil force would emanate rays from the stone and strike misfortune upon all who owned it until the gem was properly returned to the deity back in India. Finally, Indian Hindu priest retrieved the diamond and brought it back home. This story by Collins was a cautionary tale about divine or supernatural payback for the immorality of colonialism. Mm. So, but he was able to use this. Mm -hmm. He used the story for the Moonstone. He used these other articles that had kind of been written about it and the lore about it. And he eventually approached Evelyn and Ned McLean in 1910. Cartier already had a relationship with the immensely wealthy couple. He had sold them a large diamond when they vacationed in Paris around their marriage. And again, he combined these like elements to try to sell the couple this diamond and even insinuated or maybe just lied, <laughs> saying that it could have been itself hurt, cursed by a Hindu god. And he blamed the French, he blamed the Turkish, he blamed other revolutionaries for evil spirits. Okay. Evelyn McLean was like entranced by this. She was like, I've, I've got to have this thing. I must have this I, cursed I must have rock. this cursed rock. Exactly. <laughs> so she decided to buy it. The McLeans at the time were among the richest families in the United States. They own banks. They own real estate. They own the Washington Post. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like big time. So, you know, a little bit of money. Yeah. McLean, Washington, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., is Mm -hmm. actually named after the family. Okay. Yeah. So big influence. Okay. They owned some of Washington's most luxurious and valuable real estate. In addition to homes in Newport, Rhode Island, Bar Harbor, Maine, and Palm Beach. Big time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They exemplified the later years of the Gilded Age, using, flaunting, and even some would say wasting their gigantic fortune on over-the-top conspicuous consumption. Mm. So they're up there. Yeah. And anyway, Evelyn was like, well, I'm going to need this huge rock. I'm going to need it. It could be cursed, but that makes it even better for me. 
Yeah, that's interesting that she would like want the curse. Yeah. Again, it goes with the, this like, but I just want yeah. this money. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just need it. Yeah. I just need it. Just. Yeah. Okay. On January 28th, 1911, and a deal made in the offices of the Washington Post, McLean purchased the Hope Diamond for $180,000 from Pierre Cartier um, on Fifth Avenue in New York City. A clause in the sale agreement for the diamond stated, should any fatality occur to the family of Edward B. McLean within six months, the said Hope Diamond is agreed to be exchanged for jewelry of equal value. That was literally in the contract for the diamond. That's how much people believed in this. Wow. That's how real it was and or is. Okay. Like if this thing kills us, we don't want it, but you have to give us something yeah. of equal or greater value. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's unusual. Big time, right? The New York Times reported wealthy purchaser of famous stone to retain it despite sinister reputation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's again like, why are they doing this? Yeah. <laughs> now, after they purchased it, for eight years, no curse was seen for the diamond. But, okay. But the McLean's world was about to come crashing down in a big mm. way. Evelyn wore the diamond at extravagant parties, paraded the diamond around Washington, and made much of it publicity until 1919. It was then that her 10-year-old son, Vincent, was struck down and killed by a car hmm. near their Washington, D.C. home. While, walk, while crossing the street. Evelyn tried to sell the diamond back to Cartier, but he refused. Wow. And again, you know, their clause was six months. Sure, it's yeah. Been eight years. Yeah. So not taking that back, lady. Right. Next, Mr. McLean started acting strangely and erratically. His wild behavior and spending eventually led to his loss of the Washington Post and propelled the family into bankruptcy. Evelyn tried to use the Hope Diamond as collateral for a loan, but it was useless. No one wanted it. Because of the curse, I assume? At, or it I might mean, have been part the of Hope it. Diamond. Might have been part of it. Wow. Yeah. A year later, Evelyn pawned the Hope Diamond in 1932. Listen to this. This is wild to hire an investigator to track down the kidnappers of the Charles Lindbergh baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, right? That's kind of nice of her, actually. It was nice, but also she's like, can I just get rid of this? <laughs> yeah, it was really just a ruse. It was just, she just wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, so the remaining money was to be used for a possible ransom. Because, you know, at that point, yeah. they thought maybe, you know, well, there was a note left. Mm -hmm, give us the money, mm -hmm. right? The money wasn't needed, however, unfortunately, mm -hmm, as we know mm -hmm. how that story ended. And the diamond was returned to her. Oh, no. <laughs> so she has it back. Over the years, Evelyn attempted to use the diamond for charitable purposes. And she really did. I mean, she she was the Washington's grand social maven, right? So seeing it and holding it were like prizes for buying raffle tickets or attending benefits. She lit the diamond... Uh, to brides as something blue. Okay. Which also I think is really taking your marriage into your own hands. Like, I don't know that every that's what single want. marriage ended in divorce, but you know. <laughs> yeah. And listen to this as far as extravagance. She even had her great Dane, Mike, wear the diamond around his neck. <laughs> and why not? 
In Evelyn's autobiography, she expressed her ambivalence about the Hope Diamond, sometimes poo-pooing the curse and other times wondering if the curse was payback from money and time misspent and frittered away. Mm. In 1946, another tragedy struck. Evelyn's daughter, Evie, committed suicide by taking too many sleeping pills at the age of 24. That is so much grief. This family's now lost two children. Two children. And Evelyn's husband, at this point, actually, after he lost the Washington Post Mm -hmm. and basically went crazy, he was committed to um, an asylum. And he literally lost his mind. Oh, so much. After that. So much. So he's gone, and now she's lost two children. Gosh. Evelyn died in 1947 at the age of 60. And young. Was, yeah, was young. I mean, for everything she's lived through, yes, right? I mean, yeah. that seems like a, an entire lifetime. She squeezed it all into 60 years, yeah. right? The estate sold the Hope Diamond to the famed jeweler, Harry Winston. Okay. All right. So another name that we've heard, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. A decade later, Harry Winston donated the diamond to the Smithsonian. Donated. Yeah. By the way, not sold, donated. Right. On November 8th, 1958, he sent the precious stone via registered first-class mail <laughs> from New York City to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. The postage cost him $2.44 plus $142.85 for $1 million worth of insurance. Wow. 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 What a wild story. What a risk. Yeah. What what a a risk. Wow. When it arrived, it was given an acquisition number, just like every other Smithsonian object. The Hope Diamond is number 217868. It came with the setting crafted by Cartier and 16 one to one and a half carat diamonds surrounding the main blue stone Hmm. and a necklace of 42 diamonds set in platinum. So it's like diamonds around the neck and then diamonds that go around the blue stone. The Hope Diamond itself weighs 45.52 carats. It is classified as a type 2B diamond, which are the rarest diamonds in the world. The diamond's blue coloration is attributed to trace amounts of boron in the stone. Are you familiar with boron? No. Okay. It, the, the gym itself, I'm going to tell you about the boron. Mm-hmm. Um, boron is also extremely rare on this planet. Um, it's believed that it's only on this earth because it's born out of supernovas. Oh, yeah, like that's how rare it is. Okay. Um, and because of this addition of boron into the diamond, when you expose it to ultraviolet light, it makes the boron atoms like wiggle. And so even after you turn off the light, the diamond, even though it's a blue diamond, literally glows red. Oh, wow. And it will glow red even after you turn off the lights uh-huh. because these molecules are shaking. And so it bl- it glows this super eerie like blood red color Uh which of course only supports more the curse sure yeah a blood red glowing diamond yeah exactly the gym is essentially a biopsy of the earth okay i mean it's incredible yeah um it formed as crystallized carbon about 90 miles below the surface of the earth about a billion years ago 
It rose to the surface relatively slow up through a volcanic vent in India's Deccan Plateau, and then it was carried by rivers and streams to the field where it was eventually mined. Wow. So that's the, they think the whole like network of it was. Okay. Yeah. The Hope Diamond is now enshrined in the redesigned Harry Winston Gallery at the Smithsonian, which is visited by millions of Mm -hmm. people annually. And the brown paper box that Harry Winston sent it in is also on display at the National Postal Museum. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so it's basically like this famed jeweler trusted us so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they put that in there. So one question that I get asked, I saw asked a lot when I was researching the diamond Uh is, is the Hope Diamond what was in the Titanic? As you're describing it, I'm like, that sounds like the heart of the ocean. Only that stone is heart shaped. It's heart shaped. And that is a sapphire. Okay. It is. Now this is a blue diamond, but it's clear in the Titanic. Mm -hmm. It was totally a blue right like sapphire yeah that like was like sapphire, a dark a dark deep blue, blue. Exactly. so it was not the same thing so what i would like to do now i know that took a while to go through the history of it mm-hmm. but it's really important to then get to the act like that wasn't even actually the curse part okay so i'm going to tell you i'm basically going to go through all of the owners mm. of the hope diamond mm-hmm. over centuries and i'm going to tell you everything that happened to them wow okay okay you ready <laughs> no yeah uh-huh. we're going to start at the very beginning so john baptiste tavernier which is the original guy that had the diamond mm-hmm. that sold it to france he um passed away supposedly from natural causes however after that he is reported to have been torn apart by wild dogs okay so we're starting off at the bang sure mm-hmm. starting off at the bang Louis the 14th purchased it from Tavignet. Um, now he was again the sun god, the one that made Versailles. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of gangrene. Mm. And it was an interesting gangrene, too, because there was no infection. So he had gone out to like a hunting party, he came back and he was like, What's going on here? But there was no um no infection, there was no injury that caused it. It just like started his legs started going gangrenous. So he literally just like rotted from nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Now there is something called senile gangrene. And what it is, is your blood vessels start restricting. Mm. And so there's not enough blood flow. And so the tissue gets necrotic. But whatever it was, all of a sudden he had this huge sore on his leg and he died of it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Marquis de Montspan, who was the favorite favorite mistress of louis the 14th um and he was with her for quite a long time it was pretty common you know in those times you had a wife but then you also had a sure, mistress of course. and so he was his respected mistress sure if you yeah will. yeah um i mean he she fathered seven of his children okay. um three of them he actually legitimized i mean she was there right, right? yeah this wasn't just this kind was of a, a fling. relationship this was a relationship right supposedly she wore the diamond for a party and then right after that the king was like, oh, uh, I like somebody else now. You're out. Wow. Yeah. After having seven of his kids. Yeah. And like, wow. Yeah. Okay. She okay. was just replaced by another mistress. What's funny about that, there's even reports when she started seeing him kind of favor this woman, this mm-hmm. other much younger woman. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she doesn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. And then several days later, he was like, oh, by the way, you're out. She's in. Okay. Yeah. Nicholas Fouquet 
who was the superintendent of finances in France in the 19, or I'm sorry, not 19, <laughs> 1653 uh, until 1661 under King Louis the 14th. So basically he was in charge of keeping the finances and the crown jewels and all those kinds of things. Now he had a wonderful career um, and he wound up becoming wealthy himself because he was doing such a great job. And one night he was like, hey, can I borrow this to wear to this party? And after that, he was accused of misappropriating funds. He was imprisoned and then executed by the king. Wow. Yeah. Then it passed to Louis XVI with Marie Antoinette and they were beheaded. Right. You know, after yeah. having the diamond. This is one of the worst ones, in my opinion. So, Princess, <laughs> you've got the face. <laughs> Princess de, uh, Princess de Lambal. She was a member of the king's court and basically a maiden to Marie Antoinette. Okay, like her, like this was her main person. This mm -hmm. was her confidant. This was her helper. This is her best friend, basically okay. Marie Antoinette's best friend. Okay, and as you know, like the king and queen themselves were put up. Um, Louis was beheaded pretty quickly marie antoinette was in this castle for months and months mm -hmm. and then they decided to behead her as well but the members of the court were basically kicked out of the court into the streets mm -hmm. so they were really subjected to a lot of like mob justice mm -hmm. kind of things mm -hmm. all the hatred they had toward the king and the queen really befell members of their court mm -hmm. axel de Fersen wrote to king sodomanland that and these so basically these are two like french gentlemen okay um they were just found in a note and this axel de Furson witnessed this mob justice mm. um on princess lambal says the princess de lambal was most fearfully tortured for four hours my pen jibs at giving details they tore off her breasts with their teeth and then did all possible for two whole hours to force her back to consciousness to make her death more agonizing. Oh, my gosh. I know. We are told by numerous sources that the princess was either hit from behind and fell to the ground or run through with a sword and then eviscerated. And a celebration of violence, she was then apparently stripped, tortured, and terribly mutilated by the gleeful crowd who were quick to use her to demonstrate their loathing of the queen on the body of one of her closest friends. After this, her head, and according to some accounts, her heart and genitalia were placed on spikes and paraded along with her naked, mutilated body through the streets before being waved in front of the windows of the temple so that Marie Antoinette could see them before being dumped at a boundary stone on the Rue Saint Antoine. Oh, and you know, like the brutality that humans can have sometimes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like that's a lot. That 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 was a lot. That's definitely. a lot. That's a lot. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I told you. I was like, wow. I really would like to think this doesn't come some cursed stone because, wow. Yeah. Also, don't be on the wrong side of history. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and you know what? Like that time in history, like it was, I mean, 
oh, we're just going to behead our king and queen. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that alone is brutal. So just, yes. woo. Yes. After that, remember, this is where it kind of fell off. Like, it went in history. Yes, for 20 and, years. Yes. And it wound up going to Wilhelm Falls, who was the Dutch jeweler that had it recut. Mm -hmm. Right? Or we think he had it mm -hmm. recut. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, he was robbed and murdered by his son, oh. Hendrik, who then committed suicide. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Then it went to Francis Ballou, who sold the diamond and immediately after to, died of tuberculosis and also completely in debt. Okay. It then went to King George mm -hmm. IV, who owned the diamond, but then died deep in debt. Mm -hmm. Then it went to Henry Philip Hope, who owned the diamond and suffered a long series of misfortunes, including the death of his only son, before passing to Lord Francis Hope, the grandnephew mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of Lord Francis, who inherited the diamond, but then, remember, suffered. He was the betting guy who had this yes. terrible marriage. Yeah, lost everything. Yeah. Okay. The wife, um, uh, May Yohi, remember the one, yes. like, he was into this, the, like, yeah. American wife. Um, she, um, actually wrote about the curse as well, like how it had cursed her family. Wow. Um, and she died in debt as well. She died in total poverty. Then we come to Frankel. Remember Simon Frankel who bought it, think he was going to like flip it and yes. make it rich. Yes. Right. And he, it basically his went out of business. Okay. Like the bank went out of business. Done. Now we get into some that I didn't name in the original history because it flipped hands so much. Okay. Okay. It went to Jacques Colette, who went mad and committed suicide. Next, it went to Prince Ivan Kanatovsky, who was murdered by Russian revolutionaries. Then it went to Lawrence Fadu, which so she was the like lover of prince ivan okay and he had let her wear it and then a few days later he murdered her okay okay so we've got that then it went to a persian diamond merchant named habib bay um who he really owned it very briefly and after that he drowned in the sinking of a french steamer ship in 1909 are you are you catching up with me like here? here's what's so literally, these aren't just, we're not just like picking and choosing. And then this one person who had it, and like for every one person who had the diamond and had this horrible thing happen to them, there were five who were totally fine. This is like literally every documented person or entity that had this diamond suffered from either a horrible, crazy, insane death or complete poverty or like some, like, right? Am I understanding yeah. this correct? Like yeah. literally everybody who touches this diamond befalls very close yeah very close to okay very close to okay now i mean one could certainly argue that maybe the people that just have it are very selfish and greedy and maybe that's the reason that you know misfortune is befalling them but which is a valid and also i'm trying to think okay is there anyone on the planet who couldn't 
at some point be like, and then this horrible thing happened to me. So like, to some extent, horrible things happen to like everybody, you know what I mean? Right. Sure. But now, this listen, seems too much. This is it too does, much. It's a little too much, yeah. right? It's too much. And it's too like, and three days after she wore the necklace, her head fell off. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, it's a little too much. It's a little too to much. To just be coincidence. Yeah. Wait, it gets better. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> All right. So we had this Persian diamond merchant uh-huh. who drowned. Uh-huh. Then it went to a Greek jewelry broker um, who owned it and then drove his car over a precipice, killing himself, his wife, and his child. Mm, okay. Yeah. And that was right before he sold it to a Turkish sultan named Abdul Hamid II, who paid $400,000 for it. And right after that, he lost the Ottoman Empire in an army revolt. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. What? What? Right. Now, the next ones are basically part of his crew. So basically, okay. anybody in his crew that touched it, okay, bad things happen. So he had given it to one of his servants, Abdul Sabir, who polished the diamond and was right after imprisoned and tortured. We have his favorite concubine, um, Zobida, who wore it and was later found stabbed to death. We have the garden, the guardian of the Sultan's diamonds, um, Kalub Bey, who was hanged by a Turkish mob. Wow. Okay. And last of that lineage was Javer Aga, who was an official of official of the Sultan's treasury. Um, he attempted to steal the diamond, which mm, again, why would you want to do interesting. that? He's the only one that I would say, okay, I see it. And anyway, he was hanged for the theft. Okay. All right. So I'm kind of it's like, like well, the one okay. that's valid. Yeah, exactly. You're like, well, yeah, of course. The right. punishment literally fits the crime. Okay. Yeah. So then it goes to the Cartiers. Mm-hmm. Remember I said there was a period of time when it was those hands. And yes. then it went to Pierre Cartier. Yeah. Now, as far as I can tell, nothing bad has happened to the Cartiers. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. And nothing bad has happened to... Uh, the Smithsonian. Nothing... Yeah, nothing bad has happened... Well, At, well not... Okay, let me, let me, oh, okay. I have two more. Okay, 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 okay. There was Evelyn Walsh McLean. Okay. Now, we've kind of already talked about a lot of their misfortune, right? Yes. So she purchased it from uh, Pierre Cartier. Yeah. Um, her uh, mother-in-law, her mother-in-law died shortly after she had purchased it. We didn't even cover that. Mm-hmm. Then her son died in the auto accident. Her husband ran off, like, so, like, lost all of their fortune and then got, um, committed to a mental institution and then her daughter died of a drug overdose and you know they've lost they've lost everything right right right. and then she died soon after her daughter's death okay now this is the part nothing bad happened to harry winston okay as far as we know but again he just gave the diamond away he wasn't trying to right right. he just gave it away Uh uh-huh yeah he sent the diamond Postal service Mm -hmm. to the Smithsonian. And the man, the mailman that delivered it to the Smithsonian, like, because it was just a postman. Yeah. Right? Just a postman. Like, here's a box. Didn't even know what's in it. That postman name was James Todd. He delivered the Hope Diamond. Shortly thereafter, his leg was crushed in a truck accident. He injured his head in a separate auto accident, and then his entire house burned down. Wow. Okay, that's all I got. 
Okay, so why do you think Winston was spared? Cartier and Winston. Why do you think those are the two that were spared? Did they do anything different? Winston literally just like gave it away. Gave it away. But the, even the postman, like he was, he yeah, just what was gave his involvement? it away. He took it and, and gave maybe it, away. it was a coincidence. But his house burned down, Cynthia. After, after, after you know, head a, a, and, and a crushing right. leg injury. Wow. I wonder if, hmm. That's really interesting. Okay. So I can tell you now, if you handed me the Hope Diamond, I'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, not, I'm good. Not after those statistics. Not I after those imagine, numbers. In today's world, are you really going to wear it around town? What are you going to do with it? Well, I don't know. I <laughs> No, I wouldn't. I'd well, go out on a big ship and throw it into the ocean. Let, let your dog wear it. <laughs> yeah. like around a ribbon. Simple. You know, yeah. again, back to that. I'm a minimalist again at heart. Just oh, around the it. minimalist with, with the, you know, 60 carat diamond around my yes. neck. <laughs> By a simple ribbon. Um, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. That's. I. You know what I love, though? I love the idea that it was used for a protection originally like it, it it absorbed these evil spirits and these evil things and was used as protection but then you cut it and it le i mean it literally pandora's sounds like a box. scary literally movie. opening pandora's yeah. box it literally this could be a scary movie and yes. then everybody who touches it gets and then for some reason cartier and winston had some kind of either i don't know well, if it was i don't know i mean so cartier was responsible for really perpetuating the idea of the curse and so maybe it was almost like he was a warning or something. Yeah. Like, like maybe, or maybe he honored him. it. He honored, honored it for it what it was. make a joke of it. Like, yeah. He was respectful. Right. See, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. He respected the curse that, you know, right. that could be in there. And maybe Winston, because he obtained it. And then he immediately was like, I'm not going to sell this. I'm not going to give it for, I'm going to give it to a, the Smithsonian where it can be honored and like, Yes. For where it maybe it comes down to that, like that kind of a motive, maybe. like a heart. Yeah. Like where is your, where, yeah. You know, like, what's your heart? Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> All right. I like it. That was, yeah. No, that's good. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, shout out to my husband for giving me the idea. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> He's been fascinated with the Hope Diamond and just, you know, its effect on history for quite a while. And so when we were doing a true crime, uh, morbid, you know, type podcast, he was like, oh, gosh, please do the curse. Yeah. So Great. it's a good one. I mean, it I is. have to say when I was really researching it, I was kind of like, am I going to find enough actual curse information? But literally yeah. everybody <laughs> yeah because at first i'm like again like i mean i already said this but like again you know take 30 people and you can find something terrible that happened to 28 of them kind of thing you know but like this is just too much again it's too much to be coincidence it's too and it's too bizarre and i find it just fascinating how many not only hands it passed through but countries regions yeah nationalities yeah just, you know i mean france england turkey mm -hmm. persia greece yeah no that's crazy that's crazy that was a good case yeah and now here in america now here it is here it is here it, it makes is you want to go see it i know i don't want to touch it no i just want to look at it for far just away just want to look at i it. also want to go see the package yes <laughs> yeah and i don't want to touch that either just in case you know what's funny <laughs> i saw a picture of it it actually has a fragile stamp on it okay which is ironic considering diamonds are one of the hardest substances yes. on the planet <laughs> yeah that's really interesting yeah mm, okay i like it 
Good Good job. (laughs) Well, tune in next week when we bring you more thrills and chills. (laughs) Thanks for joining us at the Dark Oak. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been a Just Us Gals production with artwork by Justice Holmes and music by Ryan Creek.